I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Hello, John. Hi, John. Does anything happen in our podcast before we just come in and say hi, or does every single episode just start with us saying hello? Well, we have our intro, which is the the music and the little blurb we recorded the very That's first right. the very first day, the very first recording. I do remember that. And then it fades out for like three seconds, and then you hear, "Hi, John." And I always think to myself, no, I'm going to say it different this time. And then I go, hi, John. And I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> do, do you want to do a new take where you say something different? No, we're we're already 45 seconds into this episode. I say, let it ride. You, do, you don't want to like just start over and dive in with a greetings. No, no, because now now that you it won't be spontaneous. Uh, and it is that that spontaneity which we try to capture here that really is the magic of this podcast okay 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 before we get too off let's let's do this all right today today we are talking about oh wait no that's you sorry that's me yes that that is there's the spontaneity okay today we are talking about ain't too proud with music and lyrics by the temptations Book by Dominique Morisseau, based on Otis Williams's memoir, The Temptations. Ain't Too Proud opened on March 21st, 2019 at the Imperial Theater and closed on January 16th, 2022 after playing for 488 performances. The show was directed by Des McNuff with choreography by Sergio Trujillo and music direction by Kenny Seymour. The original Broadway cast included Derek Baskin as Otis Williams, Joan M. Jackson as Melvin Franklin, Jeremy Pope as Eddie Kendricks, James Harkness as Paul Williams, Ephraim Sykes as David Ruffin, Jarvis B. Manning Jr. as Al Bryant, Jahai Curse as Barry Gordy, and Christian Thompson as Smokey Robinson. Ain't Too Proud was nominated for 12 Tony Awards, but only won one. Best choreography. As the show opens, we see the classic Five Temptations in their glory. As the song finishes, Otis Williams begins telling the story of how five young bloods from Detroit with Southern roots became the hit group The Temptations. Otis explains his background, raised by his strict grandmother in Texarkana, and how his later lack of obedience got him into trouble. Otis figures there needed to be another way and finds his salvation in music. Otis imagines himself singing on stage and he settles into his first doo-wop group with Al Bryant and searches for a bass singer, eventually settling on Melvin Franklin. After enticing Melvin and convincing his mother, Mama Rose, to allow him to join, Otis invites Eddie Kendricks and Paul Williams from The Primes to join his group. By assuring them that credit and compensation will be equal, Otis sways Paul and Eddie to join, and the group is finalized. As they begin their tours around Detroit, 
Otis has a dispute with their manager, Johnny May, over contracts and payments, so they part ways. Now called the Elgins, they get a big break when Barry Gordy agrees to give them a chance but insists on a new name. The bandmates discuss their options and announce to Mr. Gordy that they'll be known as The Temptations. Barry Gordy introduces them to Smokey Robinson, who will write their tunes and shape their sound. Paul develops some dance choreography and teaches the rest of the group. While backstage at a gig, tensions flare when Al insists on more encores and gets physical with Paul. Al is forced out of the group, and Otis starts the search for a new lead singer. David Ruffin appears singing a classic Temptations tune as Otis explains their experiences growing up in the same neighborhood. While Otis and David recollect backstage, Otis asks David to be their new leader and David enthusiastically agrees. Otis explains their new brotherhood, group chemistry, and nicknames. Barry Gordy excitedly announces that my girl is number one and the boys celebrate. The Temptations' career takes off. Otis appeals to Barry Gordy about writing songs, but he's instructed to focus on the group and let Motown handle the rest. Otis agrees to put that dream aside to help the Temptations achieve fame. Flushed with success, the Temptations train their eyes on the top spot at Motown, occupied by the Supremes. Otis explains that with their rapidly changing musical lives came romantic difficulties and entanglements on the road. Otis details his relationship with Josephine, their rush to marry once she became pregnant, and their altercations about his life on the road. Barry Gordy introduces the temptations to their new manager, Shelley Berger, who will be able to get them more mainstream exposure and crossover success. After initial hesitation, the group agrees to take this next step. With their developing fame, complications with drug use and ego start affecting the group, especially David Ruffin. Gordy transitions them to songwriter Norman Whitfield, who takes the group in new directions with his songs. Even with their increasing success, the group faces discrimination and violence when they play gigs down south, which angers the group, but they push on. David Ruffin's excessive lateness and egocentricism start growing out of control. While struggling with personal dynamics, the group also clashes over how to confront, as musicians, the growing civil unrest in the country and in their beloved Detroit. The group is further stunned by news of Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination and later the premature death of Tammy Terrell. When David Ruffin misses a major gig, Otis rallies the group to decide his fate, and the group reluctantly decides to terminate his contract. An outraged David lashes out at Otis and protests the group's decision, believing that they couldn't possibly go on without him. Having replaced David Ruffin with Dennis Edwards, the Temptations are back to their tremendous success with less ego and shenanigans. Yet David appears from time to time at concerts and sneaks his way on stage. Despite Eddie's suggestion that David be allowed back in the group, Shelley announces he'll prevent further interruptions. Otis focuses on moving forward with the Temptations sharing the spotlight with the Supremes on Motown's first television special. 
The group struggles to balance their soaring popularity and record material confronting the issues of the day as a song originally written for them is passed on to another artist who scores a hit. As they protest the times, Eddie suggests they protest their current Motown contract with a strike, which Otis defuses. The Temptations continue their personal struggles, Paul with his drinking and Otis with his strained relationship with Josephine and Lamont, his son. Paul's health declines to the point where he needs to be assisted and is later replaced by Richard Street. Eddie confronts Otis about Paul's departure and Otis's seemingly singular management of the group and later leaves the group for good. As the Temptations add Damon Harris to replace Eddie, Ruffin and Hendrix break out on their solo careers. Otis conducts a strained conversation with his son Lamont as he tries to revive their relationship. Paul pleads with Otis to return to the group, but Otis is reluctant to break the doctor's orders and cause Paul harm. Later, a bereft Paul takes his own life. At the funeral, Melvin and Otis affirm their deep friendship. Melvin tells Otis about his issues with arthritis, yet assures him the cortisone shots will keep him going on the road. Conflict continues to arise as Dennis gets temperamental and songwriter Norman Whitfield belittles the temptations in an interview while continuing to take new musical risks with them. The group records a new Whitfield composition under duress that becomes a hit. Kendricks and Ruffin create a rival Temptations group which angers Otis at first until they decide to create a reunion tour. While initially rekindling old friendships and feelings, the tour's progression revives old problems and personality conflicts, culminating in Otis's confrontation with the group upon discovering them huddled together freebasing cocaine. Reflecting on his experiences on tour, Otis reminisces about the many great men he knew and lost while leading the Temptations, David Ruffin, Eddie Kendricks, and Melvin Franklin. Otis then drifts into a memory of losing his son, Lamont, to a construction accident. As he looks back on the long and storied history of the Temptations, Otis ponders their lasting impact and their legacy of music that will live forever. So I hope everyone listened to our episode last week when we interviewed Brian about his career as an actor, but also a good bit about his time working as a swing on the show on its current national tour. And one of the things that Brian said almost in passing stood out to both me and you, and that was about how this show is really told from Otis's perspective, Otis Williams being uh, the only surviving member of the original Temptations. And it's interesting because Otis does serve as a narrator throughout this show. But as you said, you almost get the sense that it maybe isn't, uh, maybe he isn't a reliable narrator, or maybe what we're getting out of this show is a version of the truth or a, a portion of the truth and not necessarily 100% fact. Right. And, and I'm, I'm preface this by saying, I don't believe there's any malice. One of the things I think this show does exceptionally well is in the nuance that it portrays its characters. None of these people 
are put on a pedestal. None of these people are treated as caricatures. We see every facet of them portrayed, both good and bad, except for the character of Otis Williams. And that's where I somewhat get the sense of a well-intentioned, but slightly unreliable narrator at times, because Otis doesn't seem to make mistakes in this show. Otis does not seem to make the wrong call. We never see any of his struggles, any of his problems, but we see everyone else's struggle, everyone else's problems through his gaze. And I understand, especially the show is based off of his memoir. He is the only surviving temptation. Like to this day, he is actually still touring as the temptations. Interestingly enough, he does not sing lead with them. He actually prides himself as being the, the group's leader, but as he puts it, he's the, the good baritone voice in the middle of the song. And if you go back into their catalog, there actually aren't a ton of songs where he takes the lead. So it, it's a weird dichotomy for me because we are seeing this, this unique soloistic viewpoint of someone who, at least in the book and through their catalog and through the show, wasn't someone who was like, I must be in the spotlight. I must, you know, it's, it's a, it, it is a very weird dichotomy to me. It is. It's also surprising to me to see out of what is a jukebox musical, that's what this is, such a um, a dense story. And I don't say that to be negative, but it is, it is a detailed retelling of the history of the Temptations. And it is also a um, compelling and poignant story to be told. It, it feels much more intentional than any of the other jukebox musicals that we've discussed. Yes. And I will, I want to preface this by saying I am not normally a huge fan of jukebox musicals. I feel like I've Nor made it I. very clear at this point. However, this is a jukebox musical that works because this is not just story, 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 song, story, 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 song. This actual this show actually uses the music as part of the storytelling process. Now, it's a little bit easier to do when you're doing a jukebox musical of a band like this and you're using their music. Okay, I get that. But even then, when you look at something like Jersey Boys, which does the very same thing and is, in, in my opinion, quite unsuccessful because again it's scene 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 song scene 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 song here the music is actually woven into the narrative to act reinforce that narrative and give it context and poignancy i i want to agree but i want to flip what you just said because i actually i came very close to not listening to this because i was like it's a jukebox musical i love the temptations i know the temptations and i'm so glad that i did actually sit down and listen to this show because in in an almost inverse of what you're saying, the the scenes and the story is woven into the songs. Like you get them singing the songs, and then there's a little like the orchestra sort of drops their volume, and you hear Otis do some narration, and we get some story, and then the song picks back up in a way that's actually very very well done in terms of keeping us in the Temptations musical genre, but also 
conveying this story without needing to stop after every song. I No, you're 100% right. And that's much more of an elegant way to put it than I think I did. But I think we're arguing ultimately somewhat the same thing. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not disagreeing it's, with you at all. I'm just reshaping it a teeny bit. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that's what my, that's the kernel of what my issue with jukebox musicals is, is that it doesn't, music in musicals to me, and I know this is crazy to some people and, and whatever, music serves the same thing that the choreography and the book does. It serves the story. Everything has to serve the story. And that's what they do here, is they use the music in a way that it serves the story. It intertwines as well as it does. Um, to your point about it being dense, it 100% is, because if you like The Temptations, you're going to love this show because it is chock full of Temptations. It has two scoops of Temptations. It is. It has the USDA fully recommended amount of temptations in your broadway musical i appreciate that it does make it a journey it does make it more of a process because there isn't as much of that recovery time because you're literally going song to song to song to song and as a result you're you are actively listening you are actively watching the entire time there is no break for the audience. You say that almost like it's a bad thing. No, I I, I, I say it like it's a thing. Um, I don't know that it's a bad thing. I think it's a bad thing when it's done poorly. Les Mis is a show that is song and song and song, and you get no break. I mean, in that in, in the case of Les Mis, to the absurd of stream, because there is no spoken dialogue. It is literally song and the song and the song and the song. But the way it's written, there's no there's no mental break for the audience. And as a consequence, as you get through, especially Act 1, that keeps going, your audience gets more and more tired because they have to be laser-focused in order to pay attention. But they don't change anything to keep it interesting. They don't change anything to keep it moving. Whereas a show like Ain't Too Proud, I feel like sits in that same vein, but... The difference is they use this because they're using the music more in service of the story than a show like Les Mis does. There is that same engagement, but there's always that sense of progression. And if you're not going to give your audience time to breathe, you have to give them a valid reason to stay engaged. Ain't Too Proud does that exceptionally well. Shows like Les Mis do not. I love that we got to take another shot at Les Mis in this episode. I did not <laughs> see that coming, but it tickles me so much. You know, one of the things I was struck by in listening to this show was how much more prominent the bass voice is in the original Broadway cast recording compared to the Temptations recordings that I grew up listening to. Now, I... I have not seen the temptations live in any version but i was struck by it in a way that i don't think i should have been because obviously it's a, it's a group of 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 five male singers there's there was definitely a bass voice in there and certainly you can hear 
deep bass voice prominent in moments in Temptations records because I went back and did a little listening to compare. But I think just I think purely because of our modern recording technologies and the way we record now slightly differently from then they would have in their time, the bass voice is so much more prominent in this. And I just I, I, as a lower voiced person, I appreciated hearing that. I, I I agree. I'm 100% with you on that. And I do think you're onto something when you talk about recording styles. I mean, first of all, you're talking Motown versus Broadway. Broadway is always going to be recorded differently. But even more to that, the Motown sound, as much as it was a live art form to be experienced, the a good portion of the sound could also be ascribed to the way it was recorded. And I think if you go across and you listen to various bands, various groups during that Motown era, you're going to hear a similarity in the recording style, whether it's the Temptations or the Supremes or Chuck Berry or Little Richard, any any of those, especially during their Motown eras. And that's that's fine. That is that is the recording style that works. One of the last things I do want to talk about before we leave this one behind is a name that not many people are familiar with, but probably should be. And that is Harold Wheeler, who is credited with the orchestrations for the show, which, as as we have many times before, we gush over good orchestrations. This show is among those where it has an orchestration that I really enjoy, really admire, and is it really adds to the show. And that is due to Harold Wheeler, who turns out is kind of a, not kind of, is a musical badass. So the man is now in his late 70s. He's going to turn, he just turned 79, actually, a couple of weeks ago, because we are recording in July, even though this is airing in September. Hello from the past. But actually, his career started in the 1960s as the music director for Burt Baccarat's touring show, making him the first African-American music director of a major pop act. He was a conductor for the Academy Awards. He was one of three conductors featured during the closing ceremonies of the 1996 Summer Olympics. He was the music director and band leader for the first 17 seasons of Dancing with the Stars. All of that would make this guy, should make this guy well known. But then you get to his his works list and it just reads as this list of someone who has been quietly influential in so much of Broadway that it it makes me mad at myself that I am not more familiar with this person because he's amazing. So he was the music director and did all the dance arrangements for Promises, Promises. He did the orchestrations for the 1975 version of The Wiz. He did the orchestrations for the 1978 movie version of The Wiz. He was the orchestrator and music director for the 1981 production of Dreamgirls. He did new orchestrations for the 84 revival of The Wiz. He did the, the orchestrations and was the music director for the 87 revival of Dreamgirls. He did the orchestrations for the original version of Carrie, 
for uh, Cy Coleman's The Life in 1997. He did both the orchestrations for the 1997 and the 2014 revival of Sideshow. He did the orchestrations for Full Monty, Hairspray, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Hugh Jackman, Brack, back on Broadway. I mean, this is a guy who has had in the last 30, almost 40 years, all of his fingers in so many of these major successful works on Broadway and should be celebrated even more than he is because his work on Ain't Too Proud is the same quality of work that he's been doing his entire career and needs to be known, like straight up needs to be known because this is a man who produces incredibly quality work and isn't talked about. You are absolutely right. And I'm glad you're starting the conversation here with this show. So if you were like me and you were thinking about maybe not listening to Ain't Too Proud because you already know the temptations, go listen to the show if for no other reason than to hear hear Harold Wheeler's fantastic orchestrations. Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time.